0: Hello and welcome to CAA Conversations. I'm your host, Stuart Robinson, Assistant Professor of Art Education at Southern Utah University. I'm joined today by Eileen McCavery-Kane and Herman Botas. Eileen is a full-time instructor in the art department at Rockland Community College in New York, where she teaches digital art and graphic design. Eileen writes regularly on topics of ethics and graphic design for her blog, ethicsandgraphicdesign.org. Herman Boatis serves as head of the Department of Visual Communication at Taswane University of Technology in Pretoria, South Africa. He has 25 years of experience in higher education and graphic design and has been a long-standing consultant for the South African Council on Higher Education. He is currently a doctoral student at Stellenbosch University studying critical citizenship and design education. He has a forthcoming co-authored book, Educating Citizen Designers in South Africa, due out in 2018. In 2013, Herman invited Eileen to Tuswana University to lecture on topics from her book, Ethics, a Graphic Designer's Field Guide. After her visit, Eileen and Herman started a cross-cultural collaboration, and I'd like to begin our episode there. Eileen, could you first start by giving listeners more information on ethics and graphic design?
1: I was a uh, grad student getting my MFA in graphic design. I wanted to make the transition from working in the industry to full-time teaching. You know, I was a bit struck by the lack of um, courses that dealt with ethics and graphic design. And through the years, I've kind of realized as I went full-time that there's not always room in the curriculum for a course completely dedicated to it. So uh, I feel like it's important to bring it into every course and thread it into your curriculum.
0: Could you speak a little more about your definition of ethics? I think of, of ethics as good habits and behaviors and interactions with other individuals. But there's also this idea of ethics and graphic design as standards and rules, trademarking, copywriting, those sorts of ethics, ethical use of images.
1: And I decided to look at it in three lenses, the legalities, the integrity and the morality you know, right conduct. It's also a set of legal standards, copyright, font licensing, image usage rights, plagiarism and appropriation. And then you get into that area of integrity, corporate sponsorships, um, professionalism, graphic designers have to deal with working with clients, spec work, crowdsourcing. So it's not that you can necessarily put them in these three categories, but it was a way for me to kind of wrap my arms around it. So for undergrad students, I tend to teach, you know, freshmen and the topic of ethics sometimes gets so intellectual that, you know, students turn away from it. And I wanted to put it in a way that made it easy to discuss and made it real for them. And breaking it up into these three categories, you know, was a way for me to do that a little easier.
0: Could you explain how you introduce it to your students?
1: As I mentioned, I really do try to thread it through. So, for example, with my collaboration with South Africa, we do a project that is graphic design advocacy. So, you know, students, we will I'll have them read citizen designer readings and the design manifesto. And then it's wonderful because we get to partner with South Africa and they will talk about, you know, they give each other topics of uh, social awareness or graphic design advocacy that uh, are in each other's countries. So so that's a, more of a form formal approach. So in a digital art class, so this week we're starting Photoshop. And this is a um, you know, it's kind of like the gateway. They learn a little bit about Photoshop Illustrator. Some of these students aren't even art majors. They could be a business major, but they're in my art class. And when I introduced Photoshop, I had them read about copyright, image usage, right? And then yesterday they had an exercise where they put their heads on Mount Rushmore. So they're learning Photoshop, how to do masking, how to um, handle the brushes, image size, file size. But through that, we started with the prompt was this New York Times story about a Saudi Arabian textbook where there was an image that ended up in a textbook and it was Yoda dropped into the center of this, you know, these political leaders. So, you know, we do it with humor and I, I say to them, oh, can you see this? And then I go into the history of photography and we looked at, you know, the Civil War and, okay, this is not new and what are the implications? And then maybe bring in fake news and so, I guess that's an example of how I try to thread it into something topical that we're talking about. So, it might not be a formal lesson in ethics and graphic design, but it very much is.
0: So, Herman, could you explain how ethics factors into your work on citizenship and social responsibility in graphic design?
2: Inviting Eileen to South Africa relates to our module on professional practice in our graphic design program. And that's where I really just wanted the students to engage properly with all the, the professional practice around graphic design and making sure that they conduct themselves ethically. And through that process, I was also busy with my own studies and I was a design professional before I became an educator. And being involved in educational theory sensitized me towards power relationships in class Classrooms and learning theories around how students learn. And there I developed an interest in making students understand. how how relationships work in classrooms and how that eventually goes out into industry. In the South African design environment, they are quite often going into a situation where they would be placed under severe pressure and demanded to do some really uh, long hours for very minimal or no pay just to get their portfolios up to scratch. I think it's more or less something that you will find all over the world. And in that situation, I just felt that students needed to be better prepared to deal with these situations ethically and to know when you can draw the line between being dealt with as a professional and whether you are being abused by somebody that wants to make money out of you.
0: Could you describe how you interact with students around this topic? How do they explore it?
2: We obviously have this big project with Eileen every year that really helps the students to, to engage with the, the social issues. In terms of, of ethics and ethical conduct, um, we also have a module on critical citizenship where I show them various videos throughout the world uh, explaining to them the different situations and kind of understandings that they should have of the world as a bigger place and how they fit in it. So we do a lot of discussions around cultural awareness, around awareness of people in power and how they should conduct themselves. I think especially in in our situation, people are very sensitive about that. In our history as a country, has been something that is problematic to give students tools to deal with those issues so that they go out and become people that will change an industry, that are asking the right questions in terms of things that are expected of them.
0: Could you talk about what you envision for graphic design as a result of your work in in ethics and essentially training the next crop of workers in graphic design and the characteristics you hope that they carry on and how it affects the entire system?
2: I think that is where the project that Eileen and I'm doing has tremendous value because every year we have an exhibition of the works and I'm able to demonstrate to my students how hegemonic the software is that they are using. So whether you're sitting in New York or South Africa, you're designing posters that are actually looking very similar and with a very same look and feel to it and I said to them, that is where your greatest danger lies because you don't have um, something unique that you are bringing to the table. And clients in our industry want something Different. Obviously, you have to advertise things in different ways every year or every season or whatever, and then you need fresh ideas. And if I can demonstrate to students that what is happening to you, even though you are sitting in a corner in South Africa, you can very clearly see that there's a danger in a loss of identity, a loss of uniqueness. And I think that is what opens their eyes in this project that we're doing.
1: I would say over the past years, I just keep stressing that even more, that idea of creativity and uniqueness. I think I used to be a bit more, uh, I'm going to say, lax in terms of beginning students in that, well, they're learning the tools. So they go grab an image from Google. And so I've just increasingly kind of consider what what Herman's saying about our collaboration It's just wonderful in terms of what they learn from each other and finding differences and then acceptance of each other and then finding common ground. So when we do the feedback, because we usually do a post survey uh, of the project, almost always, you know, students say, I can't believe how much they're like me.
0: So far, you've both described ethics as a way to prepare future professionals. But what about their current work? I teach a 2D studio course. And when I introduce a new project, it's fairly common now for students to pull out their phones and take a survey of what's out there, what images come up when they search for certain keywords, and then use that to maybe synthesize with their own ideas and hopefully come up with something original. But I think there is a danger that they are imitating or copying. And so could you comment about current student work?
1: It happens more than I would like it and I've gotten more vigilant and I show them tin eye right away and I say, you know, when I check your work, I'm going to put it up here and we talk about transforming and change it 70%. Do You change it significantly in three ways. I don't know if I can prevent it, but I do talk about it more and more and try to encourage them to do unique original work and what the implications of that are. And to that end, I've been increasingly trying to encourage students to use their own drawing
0: Herman, could you comment on this, too? Because it seems to me this would appeal to your worry over homogenization. we We have students everywhere in the world in art programs that are tapping into the same set of images and then using those as a basis for their own studio work. We have a worry there.
2: That was exactly our concern and what we saw and what I could demonstrate to them. If you do a Google search, you're going to get the same answers. So we really try and get them to delve into their own identities a bit more. The problem is just that students don't value their own identities. They forget that who they are and their cultural identity and the things that they grew up with are the things that would make them unique and would make them do things that are different. So I've recently had a discussion with a staff member who is doing object biographies. So she asks students to bring an object to class that they have an association with from home. And then they would write a biography of this object, which helps students to get away from the internet <laughs> to the world of reality and their lived experiences in that area that's what's also important is your workbook or concept book where you jot down ideas and kind of develop concepts in a written way with drawings and sketches and you know collages or whatever just to form ideas in a physical way instead of on a digital platform it helps students to connect with reality I think because a lot of them have lost their connection to real life experiences and you know having their own lives being mediated through the computer so it's important to have a physical thing where you could sit next to a student with a sketchbook or idea book and kind of work on a physical way with them. That is a very important skill, and I think it's something that will differentiate a good designer from a, a middleweight designer because it will show their skill in tangible way. You know, if you go to a client and you're able to take a sketchbook and quickly make ideas, it creates the impression that you know what you're doing and you have some kind of skill that the average Joe on the street doesn't have. The big problem we're sitting with is in our industry, the technology has democratized graphic design in the sense that any secretary can do a proper layout of a flyer or a brochure whatever they want because it's possible. So as a designer, you need to have something different than just being able to open a computer and do something digitally.
0: Could you both elaborate um, a little bit more on this collaboration that you two have been doing since 2013, and what insight has your collaboration led to for your own graphic design practice and as an educator?
2: Working with Eileen for me as, as a person has been a privilege in the sense that she's such a dedicated person and I always tell my colleagues that this kind of collaboration cannot happen if you do not have the kind of person that I have met in Eileen. That is really a committed educator. It's really about the students and how they learn and what we can offer them and how we can add value to their learning. It is rare i think to have such a relationship and i've seen so many collaborations and that you know just end after a year or two or there's just one project that happens and then it's over if you have something like that you shouldn't lose it and you should really strive to build it and to encourage other people to have such relationships because that's the only way that you can get into a space where you learn more than just the superficial
1: You know, for my students and I, I, there's just so many things that they get out of it from a professional standpoint. Students today can be um, a little bit reluctant to engage uh, with each other, I find in my classroom. So all of a sudden they have to contact somebody in South Africa, kind of blows their mind. And then they're making a video and watching them and then they're actually talking to them face to face. And just the social interaction can be wonderful and then the things that they learn not only about each other's cultures but even about their own culture because they see it through the mirror of how the lens of how south africa sees it so things like gun control sometimes we don't even look at how horrible this issue is i'm going to say horrible because that's my opinion but when you see it reflected through the lens of another culture looking at our culture you know it's like whoa and then you have to prepare research to give to the other culture so uh I think last year they did fracking. So fracking is big in our area. And my students had heard the word. They didn't really know what it was. But they chose this topic and then they needed to do the research. Well, they learned a whole lot about fracking in order to give it to South Africa. So, you know, at so many levels, this has been just a wonderful experience.
0: Students communicate through Skype and they also form groups to work on projects. Are those groups American and South African students together? And if so, what type of work are they collaborating to perform?
1: We typically break them into four groups, so we'll have, my class has four groups and Tishwani has four groups, and they will be tasked with coming up with a topic of graphic design advocacy. Uh, Sometimes we leave it wide open. Other times we've directed it to, say, civic or political issues or environmental issues. Let's say South African students brainstormed and they say littering. Littering is a huge problem in Pretoria. And they will then prepare a project brief with a description of the topic and then some resources. um, Okay, you can go to this website or you can read more about it here. And then they send it to their counterpart. So typically how it works is we assign the groups. We ask the groups to create a video introduction for each other and to also introduce themselves as well as the campus. And they go out and they film and then they upload it to a drive. And then students first meet each other by looking at these videos. And then they uh, have a Skype meeting.
2: I think it's important to also say that it trains them very well in the process of writing a project brief, especially if your client is a couple of thousand kilometers away. You know, it helps them really describe things better to make sure that there's no misunderstanding. And it's also quite interesting every year to see how students thought that they gave a certain angle to a brief. And then when the designs come back, they realize, oh, because you could use one wrong word and then the whole project turns into something different than what you anticipated.
0: So here at the end, I'd like for you to just make last minute comments, any sort of advice or best practices that you can leave listeners with.
1: I would just say through my experience, the more you can thread ethics through every project and assignment that you do, I think, you know, you can find a way to incorporate it pretty much in everything, whether it be the professional practice aspect, graphic design advocacy, you know, integrity to look for ways to introduce these topics within everything you teach. And the international collaboration has just been wonderful. Do these types of projects if you can.
0: Herman, I'd like to interject here. Some of your work in South Africa has been reviewing design programs. When you assess them, how often or how frequent do you find that they are hitting on ethical points in their instruction?
2: That is a specific topic that is quite often glossed over. It's dealt with. People are told, you know, this is what copyright is, this is what ethics is. And quite often, the ethics relates to ethics in terms of academic research ethics. And then people try and cor- correlate that to design practice. But in general, ethics isn't highlighted enough. And it's not something that we have, you know, an informal code of conduct for designers, but it's not something that is really high up on the hierarchy of requirements. I think mostly the, the accreditation processes in South Africa is there to protect students from predatory organizations that just want to make money. In that way, South Africa is, is very progressive in we are very actively involved in peer reviewing each other's qualifications throughout the country. I think it is very good practice and it's a very ethical practice. I appreciate the fact that we do that because it gives us a sense of validity. It's really a developmental process and it helps to improve the quality of design education overall.
0: Eileen, could you comment as well? Could you corroborate what Herman just described? Do you think this is true for the United States and its design programs as well?
1: My experience has been it's not as rigorous our program right now is going through a program review, but my experience in when I went to South Africa and in talking to Herman, you know, through our collaboration is we are not as rigorous um, in my experience as they are in South Africa in terms of blind peer review. I learned a bit about research when I went over there. I always say, well, I come from, you know, the industry versus academia. I learned from South Africa things that I didn't even learn in my own educational background. So I would say they have a very high bar when it comes to um, the peer review and the research. We aren't always as rigorous in the research portion as they are in South Africa.
0: It sounds like this collaboration has been part of this effort for not just accountability, but exchange, sharing resources to improve programs. Eileen, could you say a little bit more about what you maybe hope for graphic design in the United States to live up to the level of rigor that you're seeing in South Africa?
1: In my three years at RCC, there is definitely a push towards assessment, and I think it's a move in the right direction.
2: Stuart, I just want to chip in there. Something important that needs to be mentioned. The processes we're using in South Africa is is very administrative, rigorous. Um, Some of my colleagues are saying it's becoming a managerial environment where everything is measured and weighed and you're constantly being reviewed and checked on. And I think that is where one needs to be very careful that you have a balance between what industry requires, what education requires and what standards are set in the country and we need to be careful, you know, in South Africa even we are seeing a managerialism coming into the system that is not necessarily going to be good for design education because there's so many of the boxes that we need to tick that we find difficult to tick because of the nature of our industry. Whenever one start doing quality reviews or setting standards, you have to stand your ground to say, listen, but in our environment, this is the measurements we want to use and not to let the, the administrators overrule you in terms of what you know is a good practice in your environment.
0: So thank you both for joining us today on the CAA Conversations. Is there anything else you'd like to speak about or anything else you'd like to mention here at the end?
2: So I also think these kind of collaborative projects need to have very honest base from where it operates, and it needs to have a topic that can live. It's, it cannot be something that's too closed. Uh, you need to think about those things before you start.
0: I never asked for a definition of citizenship and it didn't hit me till now that perhaps what you're angling at is global citizenship. Is that correct?
2: That is exactly what we we are doing. There's many opportunities and many dangers. It's been a topic in South Africa on the relationship of America with the rest of the world. And we were wondering, you know, to what extent has America now retracted back into themselves and looking inward instead of outward and how our relationship with um, America would be influenced by that. So it is understanding the pitfalls of globalization, but also being a player in an international arena, to be there and to be, to be heard, but also not to be overpowered and not to be drowned so that you still keep your identity and still keep your, your values and what is important to you.
0: Eileen, do you have anything to add to that? How do your American students respond to the idea of, of a, a larger global perspective when it comes to their idea of citizenship or even their own identity?
1: You know, I think what gets reflected back to them is often the best lesson in this. They don't always realize how the rest of the world sees them. You know, we tend to be myopic.
2: Eileen, that was where the project was very strong in the sense that students were very quick to realize stereotypes and to identify stereotypes and to sit back and say, oh, I now realize that I've put a label onto this person.
0: What a great comment to close on that connected to ethics, the idea of treating people as ends and not means. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Eileen and Herman, for joining me today.